Welcome back to Redline, a millennial tale of passionate love in the combative workplace set in Boston. Hop on board for the next episode of Pia's Tale here on Redline. The next Redline train to Alewife is now arriving. The sidewalk up Beacon Street had been cleared of snow, 20 inches of it, and we made our way to Tian's condo in a stately brick townhouse that faced Boston Common. Tian walked a few paces ahead of us and often turned to glance back at me, as if to make sure I was doing all right with the patchy areas of snow and ice. He ignored Rod so that I felt our three-way tension every minute. But I also felt excitement. Tian attracted me. It was his buoyant spirit, his comfort with himself, and more subtly, his education and culture. We entered his building's soaring hallway with marble floors and a tall, curving staircase with a polished banister. Everything gleamed with old-world austerity. The white plaster walls, the elegant carved moldings, and the choice antique furniture lining the lobby. We have an elevator, but I like the stairs, Tian said, leading us up to the third floor. I smiled with pleasure as we stepped into his apartment. It glowed with sunlight, and the furnishings were minimalist, most of them contemporary. We had the same taste. May heard us come in and opened her bedroom door. May, Pia's here. I'm showing her Eliza's studio. Can you join us? Oh, you're doing homework. Well, that's good. Would you have time to bring us some water and coffee? Sure, I'll be right up. Tian led us up a narrow hardwood staircase, turning slightly to talk. Do you two live up on the hill? No, but we're looking for a place, I said. Oh, maybe I can be of help. I hear of things, and, and if you're at all interested, I have ten units in the new Millennium Tower. But you have to wait a few more years for that. What are you looking for? He stepped aside at the top of the stairs to let us enter the solarium first. Two bedrooms, not expensive, Rod said. Ambrose would send you to East Boston, your best current investment, Tian said. Yeah, but Pia wants to live on the red line. That's a no-brainer. So, this old art turret is now our music room. It's amazing, I breathed, taking in the incredible light that flooded the space from a long bank of enormous windows facing the common. I could imagine Eliza Payne never leaving the room from sunrise to sunset. It was the dream home for an artist. Unlikely she had someone to cook for her and tend to domestic affairs, a husband, a mother, a relative. Many educated families lived together in her day. It was necessary to be an economic unit. The wide plank floor had been refinished and the walls painted crisp white. The white love seat and matching armchairs made the room shine even more. Contemporary fiber art hung on the far wall and complemented the natural colors of a handwoven rug between the couch and chairs. A baby grand piano stood near the stairs along with a cello and violin propped in stands. Tian was following my intake of the room with a pleased smile. Maybe we can convince May to play a duet with me. She's the cello, and I'm the violin. Rod was glaring at the painting behind the piano that I was trying to ignore, Charles's portrait of me. I love that painting. Charles deserved a sale, Tian said. What'd you pay for it? Rod asked. <laughs> it didn't break the bank, I can tell you that, but I wanted Charles to know it was worth a lot, and one day would be worth a fortune. <sighs> Screw that. Rod said under his breath so that only I could hear. So this is where Eliza Payne painted. Awesome space, I said. And you're welcome to use it any time, Pia. You might have work that's uh, inappropriate 
for the school. <laughs> Rod and I sat down on the love seat, and Tian settled himself in an armchair across from us. Have you heard of Boston marriages? Tian asked. Nope, Rod said, sliding his arm along the back of the couch and dangling his fingers over my shoulder. He languidly stretched out his legs in ripped jeans, and I thought he looked like a lumberjack. Tian was the opposite in his casually elegant clothes. Which style, which identity did I prefer? I didn't want to say. I knew, and I wanted to bury the thought. I have a book on Boston marriages. I'll have to find it before you go. Essentially, they were about 19th century women living together in long-term relationships. The term came from Henry James's novel The Bostonians. It has two women companions. One of them was probably based on James's sister. I'd like to find out more about Eliza and her companion, but so far there's not much on the web, and I haven't had time to search the archives, but I always think about them living in this apartment. They left their spirits behind. Why did you come to Boston? Rod asked. You mean why Boston and not New York or San Fran? Or why the U.S. at all? Why not stay in booming China? All of the above. Well, I love Boston. I think when you come to the States as a teenager, as I did, you fall in love with its culture and want to stay. What's the culture? Enterprise, what else? America was founded on it, optimistic enterprise. It's embedded in the American DNA, no matter how much corruption exists. You're enterprising, Pia. You're enterprising, Rod. It comes naturally to you as Americans. I picked up the trait while living here. And as you know, China's economy has taken a downward turn. I like having some safe investments here and also getting May out of Beijing's pollution. On top of that, the best education in the world is right here, and I couldn't have found a better school than Haskell. Or a better art teacher. His smile beamed on me. Thanks. May arrived with the coffee tray and passed it around. Sweetheart, won't you play a few bars of Schubert with me for Pia and Rod? No, I can't. I'm writing a paper. English? Yep. The Kreutzer Sonata. Oh, yeah, I read it the other night when you left it in the kitchen. What'd you think of it? Not my favorite. I didn't like how I was totally pessimistic about love. <laughs> That's for sure. Personally, I don't like the way they told stories back then. The author tells this long, boring narration of events that took place in the past. I like it when characters talk and act out the story, so we, like, live the action with them, right as it's happening. But in Kreutzer's Sonata, Poisonchev tells us everything. The only time we're on stage with him is, is when he's heading home to surprise the lovers, and, you know, that scene was live. Oh, you're right, I didn't think of that, Tian said. And to me, Tolstoy wrote all the other stuff just to get to that one live scene. But I also like his ideas about men, women, love, and human existence. Tian looked at us on the love seat. Have you read it? Long ago, I, I don't remember it, I said. Nope, Rod said. Well, it talks about human lust and how men view women as sexual objects. It depicts marriage as resulting from a brief, youthful attraction that quickly turns to mutual hatred. But then physical desire overcomes that hatred, but only for the moment. But those are just the secondary themes, Dad. The story's about extreme male jealousy that leads to insanity. We're inside Poison the Chef's head as he goes insane, and that's what my paper's about. That was really awesome. Tian reached up and took May's hand. I look forward to reading it. And remember, my dear, the story's black and white. I don't want you to become cynical about love.
So I want to know exactly what Tolstoy says about marriage, Rod said. That enduring love only happens in novels, <laughs> Tian replied. I don't believe that, Rod said, squeezing my shoulder. He contends that our attraction to someone is purely physical and therefore short-lived, even though we do everything to hide ourselves from this truth. We even go so far as to commit to marriage and a lifetime together. Thus, we enslave ourselves with no escape hatch from the torture, unless we kill ourselves or our spouse. <laughs> that was good, Dad. Much shorter than my paper. Well, personally, I'm just as interested in the mind connection as the physical one. And that can last a lifetime, Rod said. You're right. Ideally, it can. But you should read the story. It provokes thought about our mixed-up human nature. <laughs> Is your class reading the other stories in the book, sweetheart? We read all of them. Oh, then did you like the death of Ivan Ilyich? No. It went on and on. It took us through his months of dying thought by repetitive thought. I wanted to throw the book across the room. Hmm, I wonder if that was the point, Tian said. Even if it was, I didn't enjoy reading about his minute-by-minute minute death. You know, especially after... Right, and I haven't read it in years, and I don't think I will now that you mention it. I'm going to go back to my work now. Nice seeing you, Pia. Bye, Rod. Tian gave me an inquisitive look. I've been thinking, Pia, how the school really needs a better art studio. Not a Renzo piano monument, but something fitting the woodsy campus. Like you have now, but much larger. The kids need the latest equipment to prepare for their futures. Rod cut in. This might be Pia's one and only year there. What? Tian said. Well, if we move downtown, she's going to look for another job in the city. Then I hope you stay in Wessex. I wouldn't want Haskell to lose you for May's last year. I'm sure I'll be there for May's last year. By the way, did you see Goya? Tian asked. Pia did. Uh, I was too busy. I took May and Charles just before it closed. I was surprised the school didn't organize a field trip. <laughs> That's a Lori story, Rod said. I glared at him. I didn't want to gossip about Lori to a school donor. Oops, Rod said. What? Did Lori refuse the trip? Tian asked. It turned out the budget was closed for the term, I said. That's too bad. But honestly, how much does it take to go to the museum with a group of students? Seems like a lost opportunity, especially with the juniors studying European history. I nodded vaguely. We did see the Jamie Wythe show, and I liked it, especially his birds. He was obsessed with them, Rod said. Indeed, I liked that exhibition too. Technically, he fascinates me, but that's about all. Our visit was ending. We put our empty mugs on the coffee table and made movements to go, though we continued to chat a few more minutes about the local museums and art and artists. Tian asked about my background and training and my preparations for the Potter Gallery show. At our leave-taking, it felt only natural to give Tian a light hug, a mutual hug that we both stepped forward to give at the same time. I caught a whiff of his scent, clean cotton and wool, faint aftershave. The men shook hands like rivals. Outside again, Rod and I trudged down the hill in silence. I could feel his tension, and I knew he was comparing himself to Tian. It was impossible not to. Tian could start conversations that Rod couldn't start or even contribute to, and Rod could see how much I enjoyed them. Compared to Tian, Rod came across as 
raw. His retorts sounded flippant, and his quips often showed the chip on his shoulder. And probably he envied Tian's billionaire success. I suddenly realized that Rod's insecurity, his fundamental sense of inferiority, was why he didn't trust my love. And his lack of trust affected my own ability to trust and love him. It was scary to think we might become the couple in the Kreutzer Sonata. Living a, a vicious circle of anger, spite, and righteousness that our physical attraction managed to cancel out. But if we wanted to endure for a lifetime, we would have to change. And I didn't plan to change to be more like Rod. Our car ride home was horrible. Rod was a time bomb in the driver's seat across from me, and I wondered what I would say that would set him off. It didn't take long to find out. Tian's really into those Boston marriages, isn't he? That was fascinating, wasn't it? I want to learn more. I've always gotten along with dykes. Lesbians wouldn't want you to use that word for them. Why not? They use it themselves. There was this one girl at this job site. Maybe, <laughs> but it's taboo for us. <sighs> Fine, I won't say it around you. Well, that's the same as saying you won't respect lesbians. No, it's not. I respect them. I don't call them dykes to their faces. And I don't like how you sound harsh. It's offensive. I'm not feeling harsh. I'm, I'm trying to express my views. If you call lesbians dykes to yourself or to some of your friends, then your attitude toward lesbians lacks respect. I guess Tian Wu would never say or think dyke. I doubt it. He's probably sensitive to racial slurs himself. Yeah, like chink. He really liked showing off, didn't he? I, I didn't notice that. He, he seemed like a gracious host. Something I'm lacking in your eyes, right? I didn't say that. He can act gracious and sophisticated, but underneath, the whole point of the visit was to show me that he had your naked body hanging in his apartment. He obviously likes you and hopes he can steal you from me. <sighs> I couldn't answer him. His slurs and distorted thinking overwhelmed me. But at the same time, I was remembering my utter passion as I painted his portrait. I was comparing him to Tian and thinking I didn't have that kind of chemistry with Tian, but my portrait hanging in his solarium did connect us in a sensual way. I wanted to keep the peace. I put my hand on Rod's thigh. I want us to be happy, Rod. We're looking for a place to live together. That means something. <sighs> yeah, I, I feel the same way. I felt uncomfortable in there with him, with, with the painting. I know he likes you, Pia. I have strong intuition that way. Thanks for putting up with me. His words instantly sank in. Was he really aware of what I put up with? That meant something positive. I wanted to say, but didn't. We should talk to a therapist about all of this. It could help us resolve some of our hurdles, but... I kept quiet, knowing Rod would reject the idea. He would take offense, thinking my suggestion implicated him as our problem. And he was. True to our pattern, as soon as we crawled into bed that night... Our arms went around each other and conveyed unity, loyalty, and love. Even so, I knew our lovemaking was different now, and he had to notice it too. Our months of petty fighting and making up were now part of our lovemaking. Conscious and unconscious memories of our hurts and dislikes infiltrated our tender touches. Strangely, these accumulated scars also melted us, I think because we had deeper knowledge of each other and our relationship. But he didn't see me the way I saw myself and vice versa. He saw me as harsh and critical and himself as a persecuted angel. So how could we ever change our dynamic if we were both right? And how long would our bed 
be our cure for friction and incompatibility. We want to thank you for listening to episode 13 of Redline. Redline is written by G.D. Spillsbury and narrated by Anna Gravel, directed and produced by Fred Greenhalge, with assistant producer Grace Waldron. Redline is dedicated to Jim Cantor and Brooke Lambert. If you've enjoyed this Redline story, please tell your friends about us and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Leaving reviews allows us to get more listeners, like yourself, so we can keep bringing you good stories. Learn more about Redline at redlinepodcast.com. That's redlinepodcast.com. You started as an RN, caring for one patient at a time, but now you're being called to help more patients more often by earning your master's in nursing leadership and healthcare systems degree online from Grand Canyon University. You could become a leader responsible for staff development and patient care outcomes. What do you think making a difference in healthcare looks like? GCU offers over 175 high-quality online programs like this one. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.